Hello, friends. This is Dave Larzalier, and you're listening to the Balanced Band Director Podcast, a show about music teaching, leadership, and balancing responsibilities as a teacher, spouse, and or parent in order to live your best life. Each episode, I have the tremendous honor to speak to educators, composers, and friends who share their insights and experiences about life and teaching. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review and share with friends and colleagues that you think might benefit from these conversations. Additionally, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Balanced Band Director. The podcast is brought to you by Work of Art Custom Batons. Mark is a master craftsman who specializes in creating one-of-a-kind conducting batons that are crafted to fit each conductor. Work of Art also markets score study pencils and protective baton tubes. I've used Mark's batons for years and love the look and feel of my batons. Please visit Work of Art at www.woacb.com to see all that they offer. Be sure to use coupon code BALANCE10 to get 10% off of your custom baton order today. Again, that's woacb.com. You can also follow Work of Art on Facebook and Instagram at Work of Art Custom Batons. And now, on to the show. Dan, are you there? I'm here. What's up, man? How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm awesome, man. Thank you so much for uh, taking a little time out of your busy life and having a conversation with me tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. So uh, for the listeners out there, my guest tonight is Dr. Dan Tembris. And Dan is the Director of Instrumental Studies at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. And uh, I've known Dan for a long time. We went to school together um and he's been a good friend so um, i'm honored to have him on the podcast tonight um dan why don't you start and just talk us talk to us about uh what you do at at purdue fort wayne there well uh here at purdue fort wayne this is my ninth year and it's kind of hard to imagine how fast the time goes um but my title is the director of instrumental studies and i kind of oversee well i don't kind of but i oversee all the woodwind brass and percussion faculty and the students, uh, regardless of major, <clears throat> I uh, coordinate and, and conduct both bands. Um, so, and I teach some music education classes from time to time. Sometimes I'll go and observe student teachers. Like every other band director, you know, you're part of your job. That you know, <laughs> That's the same at the collegiate level. Don't let anybody tell you different. <laughs> Awesome. What um what is what's the school like there? The school of music. Well, uh, we're in our second year as a school of music. We were a department of music before, and um, Purdue never had a school of music. So when uh, we used to be known as Indiana University, pre-university Fort Wayne, uh, really catchy. <laughs> and once we um, split up, Indiana went its own way, and Purdue went its own way. Um, Purdue decided through their better angels that we should have a music school so uh, our department became their school so um so we're primarily our school of music is is as of right now only undergraduate students and our majors include music education music performance music therapy which is um coming back and um we have popular music degrees we've got music minors i'm sure i'm missing a ton of stuff yeah um but yes we've got plenty of music degrees for all sorts of undergraduates. I, I still find it kind of amazing that, you know, the Purdue, the, the Purdue University, right, in West Lafayette, that has yeah. like this storied marching band, right? One of the oldest sure. marching bands still doesn't have a, a, you know, school of music at there. So if you're a kid at that 
that wants to go to Purdue but wants to be a music major, they end up at Fort Wayne. Is that how it works? That's right. Yeah, you'd okay. apply here at the School of Music. Okay. That's what would happen. You know, Jay Gephardt and I joke that, you know, now that we're the School of Music, he says, what, we keep the drum and, and you keep the beater? So, <laughs> you know, and we should have some kind of like, like Olympic torch relay or torch, you know, relay leading to West Lafayette with the, uh, for the home games of just, of just the, the, just the, the, the base mallet. Yeah. Just, just hauling <laughs> down 80, 90 turnpike. So anyway. Very good. Yeah. Um, so how many, what, what, what kind of, um, how many majors like music ed or music performance majors do you guys have going on? Well, I can't tell you specifically. Oh, I mean, I, I would guess we're probably, yeah, from music ed to music, um, I'd probably guess we have about 80 or so music education majors and probably 30 music performance majors, um, like I said, all undergrads. And then, of course, you've got your music therapy program, which probably makes up another 50 to 60 majors. Um, Yeah, so we've got, the school is growing. You know, when I started here, it was about 73 students, and now we're up to like 280. Wow. So, yeah, so things have gotten better. Uh, well, they've gotten bigger, and yeah. uh, we've got growing pains that, d- that we have to deal with because of it, but it's sure. okay. Sure. Good problems, I suppose. Yep, for sure. Are you um, are you still playing your trumpet at all? Um, you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> I did just play for recording. Um, currently, I don't know if you're familiar with the Fort Wayne Philharmonic, but they're currently furloughed. Um, and there's a really bitter negotiation between management and uh, the Players Association. But they did get together to do a recording and, um, for our local children's choir, our Fort Wayne Children's Choir, which is one of the oldest children's choirs in the nation. And um, they hired out all the orchestral musicians. And they needed a fourth trumpet. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll dust off the old horse and, and see what happens. So only a couple, only a couple uh, spurs in the saddle. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, fourth trumpet. That was my specialty, man. I That's tell you what, if it's low, <laughs> I'm down. Literally. Awesome. Um, yeah. Very good. Well, that's great. So you said your ninth year. What? Um, yeah. What? What did you do? Give us. Give us kind of the. You know your the the Reader's Digest life story. Where how'd you get started? Where'd you end up going to school? All that stuff. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I'm from Michigan. So I went to Waverly High School, graduated from there. I was influenced by my middle school band director, Bob Parker, who you know. Yep. Uh, he's up now. I think he's still somewhere around. He's with Ted. Or he was working with Ted Mull. He may have retired, yeah. I think. He did um, retire. And yeah. um, But he was. he's always been a, a, a positive role model in my life, even though we haven't spoken as much as we used to uh, because of mm-hmm. distance. But anyway, so I graduated from there. Uh, I started at the University of Michigan and um majored in trumpet performance music performance and then transferred um to michigan state university when i met john whitwell uh who as you know um could sell you know (laughs) well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna yeah anyway he's very convincing (laughs) let's just say he's very convincing so anyway so i ended up going to michigan state met john madden uh studied with rich Elliman there and then uh and then decided uh about a year in to switch my major in music education it seemed like uh, the thing I wanted to do, I, you know, I started thinking about how I wanted to affect more people. And I started seeing my colleagues who were um, really struggling, some colleagues really struggling with the performance aspect of the degree and the, the idea of competing for the rest of your life for a job that you might not get uh, was, was something that was tough for me to swallow, especially 
because I had the idea that I wanted to start a family at some point. So anyway, so sure. I did. So I, I ended up teaching um, in two schools in the state of Michigan, one Flint Kersley, where I did primarily middle school band. Um, and then the other in Mason, Michigan, where I did primarily middle school band. I assisted with high school in both. Um, then that's when I met uh, Kevin Sedatal and then the director of bands at Michigan State. And that kind of changed my my course of what I did. Um, I remember him coming out to watch me conduct my middle school band. It was Into the Storm by Robert W. Smith. And I thought, man, I got to be like Leonard Bernstein up here in front of these, you know, right. these two horn players that, uh, you know, don't know which way to blow into the instrument and, uh, you know, make it look good. So anyway, so I got in there and I uh, auditioned, got in there. Then I uh, went to... Um, went to the University of Texas where I was there for a year as an assistant to the director of bands. I was the Dwight Schrute of band directors. I was the assistant to the director, <laughs> not the assistant director of bands. And, uh, and then I started my DMA program after that. So uh, I had met Jerry Junkin through Kevin Sedatal at Michigan State. And he's been an incredible, uh, incredible mentor in my life. So, and then I got the job uh, at, uh, here at IPFW, which is now Purdue Fort Wayne. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, what's what's a little unique, I guess, about your path is that, A, you never never taught high school band, which is not, you know, un- super unusual, but kind of cool. Uh, and the other one is that you didn't have to do, I should say, you didn't, uh, I shouldn't say have to, but <laughs> you uh, didn't do uh, like the athletic band route. You know, a lot of people coming out of DMAs are kind of starting that route. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a, um, the teaching I was lucky in that when I was teaching in the public schools, the high school band directors were were very much about team teaching. And so we would share a lot of the duties, although I wasn't the uh, where the buck stopped at the high school with either program. Uh, I was still mm-hmm. involved. And yeah, the you know, it's one of those things where uh, there are a couple of these ideas that, you know, you should go the collegiate or the athletic band route, you know, when you first leave college. And and I that's just not what I want to do. So yeah. I'm, I'm, well, why am I going to apply for a job I don't want to do? So, yeah. um, but anyway, you know, and there are pluses and minuses to it. I mean, you know, our university is a little smaller. I mean, I could have started at a bigger university being, being in the athletic band situation, which I would get a bigger, you know, it, it'd just be a bigger scene for band, right? Some yeah, states, right. large state school. So, but yeah, it's worked out. Okay. I've been, I've been incredibly uh, fortunate. That's great. Well, that's awesome. Um, was your, was your, um family musical when you were growing up uh you, you know not at all i mean not at all. well i would say they were entrepreneurs of music uh, sure. uh let me just say that differently they were consumers of music consumers yeah, yeah so my dad and mother um so being cuban refugees uh they came over and um and they worked at general motors for a bunch of years and so we had a we had a potpourri of of latin music like salsa and mm-hmm. motown because I don't know if you remember when we were younger growing up, but like the oldies stations in mid Michigan, uh, oldies in mid Michigan, or at least in Michigan, when we were younger, were just Motown. I mean, right. it was, you know, he would, I mean, I don't remember ever hearing Led Zeppelin or ever hearing right. the Beatles or, you know, it's maybe on a commercial, but right. you know, the oldies stations always Motown. So my parents used to love to dance and they still do, but I mean, that's part of their culture. Um, yeah. So I was always around music one way or the other. So uh, my sister did play the violin. And then she stopped. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think that's, huh. that's provided me an opportunity to like see, see music through different lens maybe than some other people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
was there a specific moment where you knew that you wanted to become a teacher or a director rather than a performer yeah. or just even in music? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it was, I, th- well, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. So, um, I think the way that John Whitwell, um, directed at Michigan state, the way that he taught and the fact that he was so much of a consummate educator in every shape, uh, and sense, uh, really turned me on to the idea that you can, you can do music education. It could be really fulfilling and you could do it at a very high level. Um, and you can inspire a lot of people. And, uh, I would also have to attribute a lot of it to my, uh, my directed teacher that I student taught with Ross Brower, who at the time was at Hazlitt high school, um, who helped put life in perspective for me, uh, in a wonderful way. And he's remained a dear friend since. So I guess it was probably a combination of those two that I said, I mean, it wasn't a aha moment that definitely didn't happen yeah. for me, but it was just yeah. an evolution. I just, you know, it just made sense. You know, every decision I was making, I was trying to make based on, um, instinct and knowledge of, of what I was going to be doing. So that's great that you were able to kind of garner that. I think that I really took both John Madden and John Whitwell for granted when I was in school and I didn't really realize, uh, their, uh, you know, their power or their, their reach, their ability to, like you said, kind of transcend not only the experience, but the, um, direction that people that people's lives were taking yeah. um you know I, I i guess i just didn't realize until i kind of got out of school and realized then i was able to kind of look back and reflect on that experience and see how influential both those both those guys were and they're the only two college band directors i've really ever had you know i i know kevin well obviously but i never uh he was never my my director so um yeah that's great i mean those guys are they're, they're awesome. Do you keep in contact with John Whitwell at all? Um, you know, every once in a while, I'll shoot him a text. And um, uh, I think last time I spoke to him, he was buying a new car. Um, <laughs> I just imagine him, oh. you know, talking down the dealer. Uh, right. No, I'm not going to pay that much money for this lease. <laughs> you know, so. but uh, And probably a Lexus, right? Wasn't he a huge Lexus? Oh, man. Yeah. And it's, it's my understanding. It's like, it's a really bad addiction. I mean, he, he turns over cars like every six months, apparently. So, but uh, no, I haven't, you know, the last time I actually saw him in person was a couple years ago when uh, Kevin Sedatal had the, had a reception up at the Hill or not the Hilton, the, wherever it's held now, the McCormick, the Hyatt, the Hyatt. Yeah. McCormick place. Yeah. And uh, he was there and it was just wonderful to see him. So. Um, yeah. he's, yeah, no, I think that's the same he's kind of become, you know, the grandfather, I think of, sure. of not only a lot of Michigan state alumni, but also even of the college band directors national association with regards to like sure. the storyteller and the, and the sage. And so, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I do think about him a lot and, um, a lot of his stories are, are ones that I, I do retell and I try to give credit yeah. where credit is due to him, but, um, yeah, he's just a wonderful soul. Yep. Um, all right. Well, if we could maybe circle back to you know your your job at Purdue, sure. um, what are what are some things um, in looking in, in not only as as the director um, of both the, the concert bands there, but as the person that teaches probably a lot of music ed classes? What are some things that you hope come? Um, 
to the kids that are in your classes or in your ensembles? Like what, when they, when they leave, if you could say, you know, I want X, Y, and Z, I hope, I hope all the students, you know, leave Purdue with, with these skills or these experiences. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I guess the first thing I would say is leave with a greater sense of empathy uh, because you've learned, you've become more of a cultured citizen of the world. So you kind of understand um, through the music of different people um, who they are. And um, I think there's far too little, in, little uh, emphasis on that in our music programs today. Um, <clears throat> the idea of becoming a cultured citizen. So, you know, and I think this, I think the success for my students, I'm not going to, if it works out the way I hope it is, uh, I'm not going to see it. Uh, I'll be dead. And the idea, <laughs> I don't mean it to be that, that finite, but, uh, uh, but the idea is that is, you know, how are these students going to continue to engage in culture throughout their lives, even into old age. And I guess I would think the same yeah. thing about if I was still teaching in the public school is, you know, how, yeah. how are my students going to, going to continue to uh, have that zest to learn about the world, uh, to travel. And, and that just creates, you know, that, that just creates such a enriching experience for the soul. And, and I think far too often we don't, we don't focus on that. So um, that's definitely one of the things. Um, uh, the other thing um, would be to uh, talk the talk, but also be able to walk the walk. Um, mm. the, the idea that, you know, students really want to be leaders of tomorrow. They, they do it every day. If students really want to be great musicians, um, they, I see it every day. Uh, you just can't tell me that you believe in music education for the, for students. You got, you got to show me how that's applicable in your life. Um, I, <clears throat> you know, I, I think there are all these byproducts of, of, of music that, that we sometimes hang our hats on that I think they're wonderful, happy byproducts, but I think far too often uh, we're not focusing on the actual product of, um, for example, uh, you know, you have, you have some students, I was just reading philosophy, music education philosophies the other day. And it's, it's fascinating because the things that are tangible are the things that everyone's got on the tip of their tongue. The things that are, that you can put a, a number on are the things that people talk about. So, um, you know, I want to be sure that um, I learn responsibility or I want to be sure that 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 in my students engage in, um, you know, that they cooperate, that they engage in teamwork, that they um, learn how to meet deadlines, that they take, you know, ownership. And they yeah. and, and those are all wonderful things. Um, but, yeah, to, to keep to keep pushing and thinking, you know, what what does music do for your soul? And, and through those different activities uh, that you engage in in the future, how will that um, better inform that, your soul, or better, better enrich your soul? So anyway, I'm getting a little meta here. I apologize. No, that's okay. No, it's funny because I, you know, I often think, you know, I remember this distinctly. My, the first class I ever took with, with John Kratis, I think it was like a 400-level music ed class. I don't remember even the class. It might have been music philosophy probably. Um, and he basically was like, okay, why, why do we teach music? It was like the first day he got up on the board and he had the chalkboard. He's like, what, what are the reasons we teach music? Yeah. 
and 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 the class listed off all those things right. I just said. Oh, helps you become helps you become a better team player. Helps you learn responsibility, learn self discipline. You know, yeah, you yeah, know of course. List. And and it went on for ten minutes, and not one person said anything about the things you've mentioned about learning empathy or learning, you know, the artistic um, meaning or, or value. Being able to just be expressive and, uh, as a as an individual, you know, through through art, right. like yeah. Or you know, how about it, like creating yeah, art yeah. with a large group, you know? And again, right. If, if you're aiming towards that, all those byproducts that we talk about all the time, the leadership skills, the, the cooperation, you know, the teamwork, the whatever, making sure that, you know, I've got a 22 and a half inch step, you know, or. <laughs> right. It's a 22 and a half. I forget. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's right. Good. You got it. See what happens? It's been a while. <laughs> Had I been an athletic band job, I would have that tattooed in my arm. Right. But anyway. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, the way I think about it, too, is, is, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of activities that teach uh, responsibility and leadership and and, and they're know, all great. things. So trying to find and they're all great. things, Right. And they're all great. And, and, right. But trying to find those um, values that that only music can teach or that only art can um, foster, I think, is is like you said, is something to be is worth pursuing more than. Those, and those sometimes the hardest to con convince your community and starting with your right. colleagues and your administration. Um, that's right. why, you know, so many music educators get out of the college program and they're just plug and play. You know, they just jump into a job yeah. and I'm just going to do whatever, you know, was happening here before because they like that. And, and that's that. And, and that reminds me of that Bob Reynolds quote, which is, you know, he's got like a gazillion of them. That thing where he says, you know, when you take your, when you go to your first job, because they're always going to be sacred cows. I think I've told you this before. Yeah. Um, some you slowly <laughs> poison and others you shoot on sight. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it, and it takes a lot of guts. You know, it takes a lot of guts. I mean, when you're hired as being the music educator for that district or that school to actually go up to your administrators and say, you know what? Trust me. You know, have faith that, yeah. that, that I know what's best for the students. And don't just right. shoot those sacred right. cows, but replace them with something even more beautiful, you know? Right. And I think it's a, it's kind of a delicate balance of like, what do you, um, how, how much do you infuse your curriculum or your sure. message with kind of the, the altruistic kind of artistic and how much do you, um, you know, continue to reiterate, oh, this teaches sure. leadership, this teaches yeah. responsibility, I mean, that whole thing. You know, <clears throat> and that goes to that old argument that, you know, band helps with your math or band makes you a better student. Right. Right. right and then, right. and then again, there's that argument. Is it like, well, did band make you a better student or just better students attracted to band? You know, and those are, right. those are questions that are crushing the philosophies all over the place. So, but yeah, it's, it, I always, I always say thanks to the math teacher. Cause I'm like, you know, I think taking math makes my band students. Yeah. Band students. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've never used a quadratic quadratic formula um, while I'm, you know, sight reading. Right. But you know what? It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. <laughs> you never know. <sighs> um, how how do you? What are some things that you do to balance? You know, the idea of the of the podcast, sure. the balance band director is uh, is both not only talking about work life balance, we can get to that in a little bit, but like talking about balance within your kind of your curriculum. And I was just thinking about this. I was wondering like, if you have students that come to Purdue Fort Wayne 
if what do they do if they want to have a marching band experience? Can they can they march at, at West Lafayette? Or is that you know, that's possible? a good question. Um, yeah, you know, I think yeah, there's. I mean, I think it's totally possible for them to. I think logistically, it's kind of a nightmare because we're about an hour and sure. a half away from West Lafayette. Um, but a lot of the students yeah. that actually come here, so I know you know this, but Indiana is a very heavy marching band state, and. Right. And that's kind of where I was going with that question, because I'm wondering how many kids come to you and are like, I want to be a music teacher. But like March is such a huge sure. part of my, you know, my. Yeah, my no, I completely no, I completely understand that. And um, to those students, um, I usually have them contact local high school band directors because they oftentimes teach for high school bands all around the nation sure. or all around the state. So in Ohio as well. So the idea of them. uh immediately already being in charge of teaching marching band is something that's a different experience than actually playing in a marching band. And I kind of think it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a benefit. Whereas they lose a the camaraderie and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing to replace, you know, a marching band and a successful program. Um, like at Michigan state, right. you know, just the atmosphere right. and um, how it was done. Right. And yeah, Football. it's amazing. Right. Um, but at the same time, our students also gain real world experience immediately. Uh, by going out and, yeah. I guess, teching, uh, teaching different high schools all around the sure. area. And, the, and we're very marching band heavy. So um, so those are options. Yeah. And uh, that's what our students tend to do. And, yeah. That's cool. Um, what about how do you um, approach repertoire selection? Maybe, maybe you could talk about not only with sure. your group now, um, but maybe even if you can remember back to yeah. when you were teaching middle school, that maybe, maybe that's, well, maybe no, that's it's a not a big ask, ask because <laughs> I remember how bad I was at that, you know, I mean, Same. I didn't understand. Right. Um, yeah. my teacher, Jerry Junkin said, um, it, so now it's a lot more stress. It's really stressful when I pick music, just because my teacher, Jerry Junkin said, just remember that every time you select a piece of music, you're saying that every other piece of music that's ever been written in the history of mankind is not as important as this piece for your students to learn right now. And, I, you know, talk about, no yeah, pressure, talk about, yeah, <laughs> white, white knuckling. Right. So, and then when I was teaching yeah. the public school, I remember I just get like the new Hal Leonard CD, pound that in. Yeah. Band could do that. Right. Oh, this is cool. Oh, Hey, Dorian incipated. Hey, yeah. someone's gonna make a lot of money, you know? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so I would listen right. to all this music yeah. and uh, yeah, I mean, oftentimes I, I, I didn't really give any thought to it. And, and the thing is, is that the reason why I didn't give any thought to it is because I wasn't, um, unlike an English teacher whose curriculum matters um, to the administration, you know, um, no one, no administrator is going to come down to my band room and say, you know what, you really, you really didn't hit on the classical period at all this concert cycle, or you didn't really play music right, of an underrepresented right. composer, you know, um, whereas in other yeah. standardized uh, curricula, like in the STEM subjects, you know, that's all kind of delineated for you and are delegated. And, um, so, you know, I, I did miss out on a lot of opportunities because of that, um, for teaching my students. Uh, I, I did, I did add variety when I was teaching the public school, but I didn't give it as much thought as I really needed to, um, in hindsight. But now, yeah. uh, now it's kind of a burden because, um, it's a, well, it's a, it's a heavy burden because, um, you know, when are our students going to play Stravinsky? Well, who's in charge of that? Like when are students going to play Mozart? That's right. And the thing is, is that. He, the, the tough truth is is that if a student goes through an instrumental music program, let's say, for example, there's no orchestra and they go through your instrumental music program. Well, when are they going to learn about Mozart? Or when are they going to learn about Beethoven? 
Well, guess what? You know, your degree is in music education. You got to teach them all that. Even, even if you've got a contest on Saturday, like you've got to find time. Otherwise, what do they know? What do they leave you having experience? Yeah. So uh, now when I select repertoire, I mean, I, you know, I think about this all year and um, I listen to as much as I can. And now with um, so many composers being able to uh, having kind of broken out of the, the main publishing house kind of barns. Um, now there's so many different things to listen to, right? Everyone's writing music. And uh, um, so, you know, I try to vary what I do to, first of all, represent the students that are in front of me. And that's something that I think we could focus a little more on. You know, if, when you're, when you're, when you're picking music, have music that represents the, the makeup of the students in front of you, have composers represented the makeup, of the students in front of you. And um, I think that's an important thing to, to consider. And I think, you know, when I was younger, I definitely didn't do that. I mean, I had a book of Queenwood publications of marches by basically three composers. And I basically picked out a march every single concert. So oh, kids got to do a march this concert. So let's see what we got here. So, you know, I'm not going right. to mention names, but, you know, and I would just pound these out and it would be like formulaic and, you know, and I thought, hey, I was right. doing good. Uh, in reality, I was not as intelligent as I'd hoped I, I should have yeah. been. So, so yes, go ahead. Have you, have, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, I, I feel similar to that. And, and you're probably more dialed in than I am just by the nature of your of your experience. But I feel like, uh, I, I'm just, same thing, I'm kind of constantly looking at programs and scouring the internet for yeah. like new composers or like, you know, under, like you said, sure. upper, underrepresented composers. And I always get so frustrated when I, if I go to a concert and I'm like, you know, I have a colleague who I'm, who I'm close with or, or who I'm, you know, who I respect. Um, and, and they find a piece that's like, I've never heard of the composer, I've never heard of the anything. And I'm, I'm always, I'm not frustrated by it. Maybe just a little bit jealous, I guess, or envious of like, it's, I feel like it's because of, we don't have those yeah. Queens one books and we don't have, those CDs, or we recognize that they're, they're not as valuable. It's sometimes harder to find the good music. You got to work a little harder. We yeah. Agree well, with absolutely. That. I mean, you know, the idea that when, if you ever, if you were to go to like a, a concert where they did nothing but just premiere works, I'm willing to bet nine out of 10 of the, if nine out of 10 premiere works uh, are probably not very good. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, I, it's just <laughs> the truth. I mean, you know, the only time yeah. I, in history that I can think of a concert where maybe that was not true was that I think it was the 64. And this is what I learned about. I think it was 1964, 68. Oh, I forget the, the date escapes me. But anyway, um, Arizona State, wait, no, USC, University of Southern California, played at Arizona State University for the CBDNA conference. And they, in that, com that concert, they premiered um, both the Dahl Sinfonietta and Copeland's Emblems. And it, right. And it's like, wow. well, okay. So there's an anomaly. Um, those two have stuck around for a while, but yeah. But I think the same thing too is that you're so inundated with new music that oftentimes we lose track of really great music that was written not even ten years ago. Yeah. You know, we're always thinking about the newest, right. greatest, but man, there's so many, there's so many great pieces of music in the past that we just never touch. I mean, like I don't, I can't tell you, you know, just well, one piece in particular. You know that you ever done the Hunting Tower Ballad? The it's it's the only piece nope. that Respighi ever wrote for band. And it exists. And okay. it's like, yeah. And it's like, what? It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, what's I think it it's called? called hunting, hunting tower ballad. And I think it was written for CBDNA and it's got, it start you, you know, the students start playing it and you're like, Oh my gosh, this sounds like Respighi. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not, yeah. you know, the Roman trilogy, 
um, because, you know, right. I mean, how long are high school kids faces going to last, you know, playing string parts. So, right. right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I think, I think you just got to be cool. continuously thinking, you know, as a teacher, man, I've got to teach these students about every great composer I can find and every, you know, all good music I can find by all great people and for, and diverse people. So that's hard. Well, I, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm uh, I'm the commissioning chair yeah, for wonderful. the district eight MSBOA, you know, the old, the old, the old uh, stopping ground for you. And we uh, just in this fall, um, I, we did a whole kind of research last year and I discovered. Um, I know Kimberly Kim Archer. She's a University of Texas Austin grad. Yeah. Book them. Oh, of course. That's yeah. right. I knew that. So, so we commissioned, you know, I, I announced to the district in the fall that we sure. were commissioning her to do a work for, yeah. uh, you know, middle school band. And people were kind of like, who, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And, I, you know, I, so I sent everybody her bio and all this stuff. And like, you know, nobody, it was fine. It was no big deal. But uh, then uh, come to find out that she just got commissioned by the president's own to do a, to write a, a fan. That's fair right. Did you hear? Yeah. And I was just going to say that. Yeah. How awesome still, is that? Yeah. yeah. So it's awesome. It's so awesome. So I felt, I, I felt super excited that, um, you know, that we commissioned her, you know, and then that she had that opportunity and she had wonderful. that exposure. Yeah. It was awesome. I, so it was, what a, what an opportunity. I mean, you might as well put the, Holy yeah, might smokes. as well shut down the computer once the president's own band plays your music. Cause you're not going to hear it any better. So that's it. sadly. <laughs> yeah. Even when it's outside. That's right. Outside, oh man. It didn't matter. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. They still sound great. Yeah. Friends, allow me to press the pause button for a moment. I'd like to invite you to a special event this Friday, January 29th from 9 to 11 p.m. Along with my friends Andy Perkins from Apollo Studios, Mark Stice from the Work of Art Custom Batons, and our friends Mike Emerson, Tim Seabor, and John Cizerowski. We'd like to invite you to the virtual happy hour as part of the Michigan Music Conference. We're hosting this event over Zoom, and the meeting ID is 587-901-8226, and the password is MMCHH2021. Again, please join us this Friday from 9 to 11 p.m., Bring your favorite cocktail, beer, or uh, other adult beverage and join us for an evening of laughter and friendship. And now, back to the podcast. Um, awesome. What about, do you have, um, kind of changing gears a little bit to the administrative part of your job, um, do you have any like productivity systems or habits that you feel are not necessarily unique, but um, really beneficial re- to you that are worth sharing. In, so you're going to have to clarify a little bit. Okay. I mean, it's kind of a wordy question. So, you know, like when I think of like just, just how yeah. you get work done, like I know you're yeah. kind of, you, got, you have a family, you know, you're, you've got other sure. things that you're interested in. What are some things, if you're not good yeah. at the productivity part, it, you can work That's 24 correct. hours a day. Um, so just wondering, you know, do you have any systems or habits that are particularly uh, well, beneficial we, to you? 
kind of yeah. either compart- compartmentalizing or just making sure. it more efficient. Okay, so here's two quick, again, uh, you know, I live my life based on like one-liners, it seems like, the quotes from different people in my life. And, <laughs> and I, but I do think about these all the time. And, and um, you know, uh, it's, here's the Bob Reynolds quote again. He said, do, you know, and I'm sure you know this one. He says, do only the things only you can do. Yeah. So, um, yeah. and I think uh, instilling in students the ownership for every aspect of their music education and every, actually every aspect of the music program that, that they're involved in, whether it's band or orchestra or choir, um, you know, is, is one way to, to spread, spread the love, so to, so to speak, you know, um, you don't have to worry about some of the stuff. You don't have to worry about checking to be sure that all the kids coming in for honor band have all the music, you know, you can give that to a, a student council that you have, like we have a wind band council here that does a lot of administrative work and a lot of communication with directors. So, um, <clears throat> you know, we have our own music librarians, which surprise, uh, you can have that in a, in a public school setting as well. <laughs> you know, you can have students helping you with that on a regular basis. Um, so, you know, these one line things that stick with me and, and I think about that every year and I, you know, I am no, I'm no different than any other band director. I fall in those pits where I, I find myself doing email on the weekends or, you know, yeah. um, you know, those little fires that you have to put out that, that become the bane of your existence. And, and that's again, where, where, you know, the John Whitwell quote comes in, you know, these are things I, I just live off these things where he says uh, the most important things in your life can be put off for another day. And and, and yeah. that just, you know, just to let that soak in for a little bit and to think that that's absolutely correct. You know, you're worried about, man, did I submit those bus requests or, um, you know, who's going to be there for the, you know, for the sausage sale, you know, to pick up or who's going to take care of the mattresses or, you know, <laughs> and, and what you're doing is you're missing your kid's baseball game yeah. or you're not, you're not calling your mom to tell your lover right. or you're not, you know, in service to anybody else. So, yeah. um, through volunteerism or anything like that. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I've got to check myself a lot in that respect. And yeah, it can. And I've got colleagues and, and we all have colleagues who, who, you know, live and die on the, on the vine of, of work. And, um, you know, I think they're great things to it, but at the same time to achieve longevity and not even longevity, but to be able to be your best and to be able to, to show, um, the care and the, and the, uh, musicianship you need to every day. Um, you've got to find time for you. And, uh, you know, because when you don't, you're a disservice for everybody, including the students in front of you. Yeah, that's actually a, a great uh, place to kind of pivot to, you know, kind of the main focus of the of the podcast, which yeah. is talking about work-life balance. So, you know, can you talk about just a little bit about how you feel about it or how you how you achieve it? I mean, you kind of talked about delegation. That's great. But um, what are some other things sure. that you do to either take care of yourself or spend more time yeah. with your family? <clears throat> knowing when to stop is is knowing when to say enough. Um, you know, knowing that you're not gonna you're not gonna save the world by staying an extra hour at work. Um, um, you know, taking care of your health, and I'm I'm guilty as anybody else um, of not exercising enough. But you know, when you're younger, you don't have to, right? You just Suck down whatever they've got at the union in between right. classes. You know, you, I mean, I remember I used to run the crunchies like three times a week, you know, at Michigan state. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> For Poor burger, Ethel. Burger you know, she got tired of me. So yeah. anyway, but yeah. Uh, you know, I do that now and I'm laying on the ground somewhere, 
you know, there's a, there's not a defibrillator nearby that right. can help me. So, um, but no, I think, you know, I think the, in, the individual health and, and now the mental health thing is a really big thing. So, you know, you've got to do things, you got to keep your life in order to stay sane. You got to keep your life in perspective. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's, that's funny you bring that up. I think that that's a piece that a lot of people miss is they, they, um, isolate or, or hold separate mental health and physical health when personally, I feel like at least for me, they're, oh my gosh, totally Look, I, I think it's, I think you talk yeah. to any doctor. I mean, it's all, you know, it doesn't matter how yeah. beautiful your Ferrari is or how great the engine is. If you've got, you know, canola oil running through the engine, I mean, it's, it's not going to, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. It's not going to, it's right. not going to be effective. Right. It's not going to run. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to, you've got to be able to know when yeah. to say when and, and, uh, social media is really mentally for everybody. You know, you, you always feel like for you got to sure. keep up with the Joneses. Oh my gosh. Well, this person just posted about some great experiences students had with in music here, or, or they got this at festival or they did this, you know, it's, it's pretty irrelevant because everyone's experience is unique and um, you can't compare and there's no need to try to compare yourself with, with the success or the failures you don't learn about of other people. So, but yeah, the, even, even what you eat, have you, you know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. amazing what would happen if we just cut out the soda out of our diets or so. Anyway. Yeah. It was funny. My, I, I went, I, I, I walk every sure. day. I walk every day in the morning, first thing in the morning for an hour. And it's been something I've started doing in the last really just kind of since COVID hit. Well, but, how's that helped? Um, I, um, yeah, it's great. It's been it's amazing, but I came home. It's on Saturday. We actually, I went out and walked like you know i drove sure. to a place and walked with my dog and then drove back and i came back and my wife my wife uh took the kids to get donuts and so i came yeah. home and there was like a box of donuts and sure. i was like oh i usually don't eat donuts but i was <laughs> yeah, like it's right. a saturday yeah. and i have a donut and i'm not kidding seven minutes later i looked at her and i said i feel terrible. <laughs> why did i just do that i feel terrible she's like she's like it was good wasn't it? i said it, it's not worth it yeah. I, i've never eaten a donut i mean i felt terrible I, it was well, it was not worth it at all. So yeah, it, like you said, and I think the older you get, the more. Well, yeah, you I are. mean, it's you know you can't do <laughs> what you used to do, and at one point, you know, at some point, you have to break down to realize you're not indiv- uh, indestructible like you were in college, right? Everyone comes to that point where they where they they right, you know something right. happens with their body, mentally, physically, emotionally, something just doesn't gel, and then and then you start realizing you know your humanity or your so yeah. Speaking of that, have you seen the? the I have not the seen the social dilemma. dilemma. Is this wait? Is this the? Is this the? No, this isn't. Have you is, heard it? Is this the founding of Facebook one? This isn't that, is it? Kind. Of, it's no. no that's sorry. that's uh, the, yeah, the yeah. social. Oh, I've heard about yeah. this. No, this. Yeah, is, I've heard about this. This is a. Yeah, I, I don't want to see it because yeah, I know like my nightmares are, are going to come true here. But that's <laughs> scary. Dan, you got to watch it. It's. I'm not getting. I. Uh, I the since I I watched it about yeah. six weeks ago, probably maybe two months ago, and the the only reason I've been on Facebook since then is to promote the podcast. I probably don't smart. check Facebook at all anymore, and I'm, I'm sure so yeah. much happier about it. You know, and you and you like you just what you said. I mean, there's that. I think that the the technical term they call it FOMO, right? Which is the fear of missing out, but it's this basic. Basically, you're just kind of constantly comparing oh, yeah. yourself to this uh, 
virtual reality for lack of a better term, but this, this, you know, manufactured reality that people make their lives look fantastic. Sure. And so you're constantly comparing yourself to that. It's not real. It's, up, it's not, yeah, it's they're, not they're basically filters, you know, that yeah. people put through, you know, it's like the same thing what they do with photos of themselves. Right. 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 So it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Right. So that was one piece of it. That was one piece of it that was really interesting. And the other one was that they talked a lot about, um, uh, basically that, you know, we all, we live in these echo chambers, politically right. speaking, and that um, that all the political stuff that you see on your feed has been is is kind of uh, either meant to yeah. um, sure. rile you up, right, or or it's meant it's meant to you know kind of make it feel good, um, solidify what you already yeah. feel, yeah. And so it's just basically yeah. that's it, make, make you feel good or to piss you off, basically. And so, um, but it's all done with intention to try to sure. make, to try to kind of you know raise the temperature. And um, and so anyway, that's it's you know I I saw it kind of, but it was actually before the election, and so that was kind of one of the reasons I stopped yeah. because it was stressing me out. No, it's it's, it's true, <laughs> and and that's part of what but, you know. Believe it or not, I'm trying to teach students is the idea of. Keep learning about the world around you. Right. You know, keep learning about other other cultures. You know, let's let's explore them this way or another way. And you know, we've done some of that with some travel that we've done in the recent past with our groups. And uh, you know, because the more, <clears throat> I mean, I don't I, I don't remember who said the quote, but you know that travel cures all ignorance. Um, and it's true. I mean, you know, we're so fearful. Right. We're so fearful of what yeah. we don't know and ignorance and 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 you know, ignorance continues to perpetuate itself and. You know, you've got people in positions of power that are going to make money that want you to think a certain way. So, of course, they're going to try to influence you in any way possible. As citizens, especially as music educators, uh, to be the most cultured person in the room, you know, and to try to, yeah, try to share that yeah. with everyone else, kind of like spread what's going on in the world, you know, and show, show, what's, show that common humanity we all have. So instead of being able to quickly you know, post a comment on Facebook, you know, about how you hate all whatever people that like chocolate milk, you know, or people that, you know what I mean? Or people that don't believe in aliens, you know, they're all the devil. Those brown cows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Weren't you, weren't you supposed to take, yeah, both. So um, last year we were supposed to go, um, what we started, some years ago was the idea that, um, again, uh, students need to experience the world. And um, so we started traveling. And it really all started with this idea that um, I, I took 10 music ed majors at the time uh, when I first started my first year to Chicago. Uh, from Fort Wayne, Indiana, it's about two and a half hours on the train, if that. And I yeah. gave my students a, a form to fill out and, you know, tell me you know, about your experience, things you liked, things you didn't like. And we did, we went to the Frank Lloyd Wright studio, did the tour there. We went to the Chicago Institute of Art, uh, went to the uh, Chicago Symphony, caught a concert. I think they did Lutislawski, Lutislawski's Third Symphony, which is beautiful. And and we got to go backstage and, and go to the archives um, where they had like, they have one of the two life masks that exist of Beethoven. Um, one of them is in Chicago, which is crazy. And the other one's in Bonn, Germany. So Anyway, so we did all that. We had yeah. all great food. We, we did the architectural oh boat tour to get students to learn a little bit more about architecture. As you know, you've done that. It's an amazing experience. Um, and then when I asked the students uh, the most impressive thing, yeah. nine out of the 10 of them said riding in a taxi. 
And, and immediately I'm like, damn it, that didn't work. But then at the same time, that, that made me aware that, you know, well, think about it. I mean, how many kids have ever ridden in a taxi? And this is before Uber. Yeah. But even before Uber, if you come from a town that's, you know, not a huge metropolitan, you know, metroplex or whatever, I mean, your chances of riding a taxi are very slim. It doesn't matter if you're from Lansing, Grand Rapids, Ann Arbor, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I, right. I know that you probably remember your first taxi experience very well. It's a pretty vivid memory for most people. Um, you know, the, the, the fine line between life and death while listening to, you know, an ad on the back of a reading an ad on the back of the chair. So anyway, um, yeah, so we decided, OK, <laughs> I decided, well, you know, our, we're taking these students out. Um, they're they're graduating. They're leaving here, and it's they're basically just carbon copies of their of their past experiences. You know, we only we only are what we know, right? So, so that's um, that's when I said, okay, we got to do something significant. And I decided every two years I'm going to push to see if we can get um, our university and donors to help fund trips uh, to places of significance. So then we went to Carnegie Hall two years later. Um, you know, went to the Museum of Modern Art. Um, went to see the marriage of Figaro at the Met. Oh my gosh. Um, we, uh, so, you know, one of our guest solos was Billy Hunter, who was principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera at the time. We did some amazing stuff in New York. We played at Columbia University. We did this, we did a festival there. Um, we played, we performed a couple times in, in Pennsylvania on our way there. And, um, and I felt, I felt, I felt like things had come full circle because I, I asked that same question again on a forum of the students. And the vast majority of the students in the wind ensemble said the most impressive part, you wouldn't guess. What do you think it was? Take a guess. <laughs> it was I'd the opera. To, I'd love to say it was the opera, but it I'm was the right. opera. The things in Italian. Really? And they were the most they were right. most blown away right. and in love with the marriage of Figaro. And I thought, ching. Like here they are, they're trying to become a little more worldly, learn yeah, about culture. Now, mind you, it's still Western culture. But it's beyond their their daily, yeah, you know, understanding of what of of how some art is. So, um, anyway, so then we went to Europe two years later. That was yeah fun. Um, it was amazing actually. And then, uh, but fast forwarding to your, the answer to your question, yeah. So we said, okay, well, we're gonna go to Asia now. We're gonna push their boundaries even more. You know, start with Chicago, go to New York, then to Europe, and now to Asia. And, and we had it set up. We'd be going to Hong Kong to share a concert with uh, my mentor, Jerry's uh, Hong Kong Winston Harmonia there. Uh, we were going to go to Shanghai, to Beijing. Uh, we were planning on going to Tokyo. It was going to be an amazing trip. And, and our university was subsidizing like eight yeah. every student. So I think each student was going to pay for two weeks in China. I think it was like $1,200, not even maybe $1,100. So, yeah. And we've found, you know, donors yeah. that are willing to support us every time we do this. So it's, it's one of the exciting things about uh, Purdue Fort Wayne is that, you know, if you have great ideas and find a way to educate our students beyond the classroom, um, there's 110% support for that. So, but yeah, so that was supposed to happen this last spring and then uh, yeah. COVID-19 hit and um, that got put off to this spring. Yeah. And uh, well, oh, not this year. Still doing <laughs> so we originally thought we put, put it off because, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> This was all going to go away or, yeah. or it was going to, you know, we'd find a way to deal with this or whatever. Well, anyway, needless to say, uh, it's still on, but we're just pushing it back uh, year after year. So 
Um, but we've got the funds already there from our donors. Um, so the students are going to pay even less next year. And again, it's like six flights. Um, but yeah, we're, we're planning to go to all the same places again and have the students experience the culture. And, you know, one thing I, one thing I, 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 I make sure our, stu our students don't engage in when we're uh, overseas. That is uh, engaging in any kind of American culture that they're familiar with or any culture they're familiar with, you know, so you're eating the food. So when we get to <laughs> Beijing, we're having Peking duck when you, yeah. you know, we're going to try different types of food that they're not used to. And, um, yeah. and just explore different, different uh, institutes of art in, in, in these countries, whether it's um, their operas, which are considerably different, Chinese operas considerably different. Um, significantly different, I should say, than than uh, Western opera. Um, just even the instruments they use. I mean, even their schools of music in China are the instruments they focus on are are so much so different than the instruments they focus on here. So, you know, and and making sure yeah. that every single performance that wow. we do um, is what we did. Well, what we've done every time we've traveled. So in Europe, we performed seven times, and every every concert we shared with a significant wind ensemble from the city. So, and we're gonna do the same thing in, in Asia when we go, which as of right now, it's slated for spring 2022. So I'm hoping we've got our ducks in a row by then uh, so we can make that happen. Otherwise it'll be like, yeah. you know, the dream that continues. It'll be like Groundhog Day every year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the nightmare, right. Speaking of that, how do you, uh, how do you, how do, how do you see us getting out of this, out of, out of, out of COVID? Is the, is the, is the vaccine <sighs> fix everything you think? Well. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously what we have to do is get to that herd immunity, right? Or to that seventy percent, I think, threshold. And yeah. you know, it's yeah. um, it's been a dark time. Uh, I guess it's safe to say, both you know, uh, health wise for a country, but also um, this seems to be a, a battle against um, knowledge that's been happening, or facts, or science. So. Um, I think that's really the damage that's that's made yeah. itself that'll be more longer lasting than sadly this this COVID uh, epidemic. But yeah, I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm you gotta you gotta pray to the good angels and you gotta have faith. And I think a lot of people, you know, it's a lot easier to be pessimistic about what's going on around you than than optimistic. And and what's one of the wonderful things about us as music educators have is that we get to go see students who who for the most part really want to be with you. And really want to really want to play an instrument, and um, right, you get to see the beauty that they that they can evoke, and uh, yeah, and I think I think that'll help at least music educators. That'll help us tremendously if we keep in mind the people in front of us um, and be good stewards uh, of their education. Have you been? Um, I oh, assume I have. you haven't been in front of students since yeah. March. Yeah, actually, okay. we have. Been, have um, you been playing? What What have yeah. you been doing? Give me because we're we're going back to school in March, and I have I have a lot of very nervous well, first people, of all, and I'm trying. First to of all, once you do that F around the room, you're going to feel out. good about life again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so yeah, I'm sure. Here's right? what the science has has shown so far, and that if we um, use the mitigation techniques of uh, social distancing. You know, right now, based, I mean, if, I don't know if you've watched any, many of these, but I've been on, I've learned so much more about aerosol emission than I ever thought I would learn in my life. I mean, this, I, I've been in so many Zoom conferences right. and 
Um, and, you know, everyone's going to interpret things a little differently. Um, but I'll tell you from our, what we've been doing. And uh, as of right now, it's been successful. And I knock on wood, I hope we'll continue to be this way. Um, we don't, we avoid rehearsing for long periods of time. We keep rehearsals to about 35 minutes uh, per piece. Right. And then what we do is um, we're in larger spaces. We're in our concert hall right now. Um, but we allow for one air circulation at least to travel through about 15 minutes in the, in the, in the room before we come back. Um, mm -hmm. We sterilize stands. Uh, all our students have, um, have PPE for themselves and for their instruments. Uh, our clarinet players oftentimes play, they've, we've got bags mm -hmm. that, that they've purchased for their clarinets. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously everyone's wearing a mask. We've got musician masks that, you know, you have like a, a slip kind of like a fold over portion where the mouthpiece goes in and, um, and the students yep. sit six feet apart from each other. And um, for contact tracing, we've got seating charts for everyone. Um, but what this is, uh, and, and this is this spring, and we just started doing that here in January. And again, knock on wood, we haven't uh, seen any, any negative consequences from that. Um, nor have we seen any negative consequences according to um, our president of CBDNA and National High School Association of any um, um, any outbreaks that have happened because of uh, instrumental ensembles in the United States yet. So, so that's one thing. I will say oh, the fall good. was really interesting because we were very, um, very, very uh, protective. Uh, we we only were outside for about the first half of the fall. And we were we had some chamber groups in a yeah. parking garage, which you know. It's <laughs> apparently the way to get to Carnegie <laughs> Hall is through a parking garage sometimes. So, so we were a parking garage and we also rented yeah. a large tent, canopy <laughs> tent. Um, so the wind was blowing freely through. Um, but yeah. what it's allowed us to do that's been wonderful is that it's allowed us to engage in more um, chamber music. And, you know, as you know, uh, chamber music being kind of yeah. the ultimate litmus test about if you can be expressive through your instrument, if you can communicate through your instrument. Or if you even have the skills, have you have you done the practice? Have you practiced enough so that you're actually like being part of the process? You know, um, so it's put it's put a higher um, premium on on preparedness for our students and also for me. Um, and it's also made it more challenging because again, we've got so if you've got uh, our second band has 80 students in it. And if I'm trying to do chamber music and we, we're not meeting with any more than 25 people has been told the limit is what our limit has been. And we've been significantly smaller than that all year. Yeah. Um, you know, now I've got to find music for all of these smaller ensembles where before you'd have four large ensemble pieces or five large ensemble pieces, six large ensemble pieces, and there's a concert, right? So now it's, we're talking eight pieces, nine pieces per ensemble. So I've got essentially around 18 pieces to pick out for each concert cycle and learn and conduct and yeah and try to look like maybe i know what i'm doing so um yeah it's a lot so yeah so that's that's been that's <laughs> been a bit of a um a challenge but the rewards have been amazing just because students can then experience new music that they've never done well, you know yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and what i say to my I'm public school colleagues about that is that you know here's the first year where uh where an organization, a governing body for music in your state doesn't really determine your calendar. Like you have, you have the reins, 
Like, here you go. Like, right. What are you going to do? Right. And that's, you know, yeah. that could be a really scary proposition for a lot of people yeah. who, again, are just used to plugging in and saying, all right, well, here's our, here's our Memorial Day parade. We do it this time. Here's this, you know, here's where district qualifiers happen. And so, right. you know, really you get to figure out what kind of education and, and why you're doing what you're doing. Very good. Well, we're we're going to do something yeah. similar to that. We're we're getting all the PPE kind of in line now and I I'm, I'm we're going to pre- we're going to rehearse in the auditorium. I'm going to have about 30 students, but we're going to yeah. flip it around. I'm sure. going to put the students in the in the seats kind of spread out throughout yeah. the auditorium. We've got that in the, the plans and the work for some of our rehearsals where we're going to rehearse a couple pieces within the same period of time. We're actually moving the students. So our our call is pretty big. It seats about 1900 people. I mean, it's a big hall. Yeah, it's a huge hall. So, so what we um, what we're Holy planning smokes. on doing is we'll have yeah. one like octet on the stage for about you know twenty minutes, then we'll take fifteen minutes, and then we'll have for balcony, um, you know, doing like a, I don't know, a non-ed or something. So, so yeah, I mean, we've got to be creative, yeah. and um, yeah. you know, have have faith in the science of what's going on, and you know, so. Right, but that's great that you're playing. I mean, I'm glad you are. Well, good. Yeah, you know, it's been it's been really interesting. The band over Zoom yeah. has been has been oh yeah is not good. I mean, it's I shouldn't say it's not good. It's better than nothing, but it's been really challenging. You know, been really challenging. And some kids have, have really enjoyed it, and sure. um, you know, other kids have kind of fallen off the map a little bit. And so, I'm I'm you know just hoping that we can kind of kind of revive things a little bit here in the spring and then, you know, yeah. And reboot. And again, again, this is the same thing we're talking about the mental health. And so, you know, we're going to have a large mental health issue or at least, uh, um, challenge ahead of us, you know, when talking to our students who've been at home for this long, who, you know, the extroverts, the band kids that are always, you know, the first to raise their hand or, you know, these kids are kind of suffering, uh, by themselves, you know, not being around their friends and, you know, when we consider yeah. how many students are in band because, hey, my friends are in band or this is a place where I belong. You know, I mean, these kids are suffering. So we'll, we'll right. have to be we'll have to be there for them in every way possible as educators when they come back. For sure. Speaking of that, what do you have any advice? Absolutely. That you give to yeah. Young teachers. Who yeah, are absolutely. Know career, that it's going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all. Know that it'll get easier. Um, you know, everyone, I'm sure every music ed professor tells you that. But the first year is, yeah. the first year or two are really just you learning procedural things in your school um, and making a lot of mistakes. So um, once you yeah. get more comfortable with that, uh, it takes time. And, and you can't expect to have the world's greatest, you know, program or be the world's greatest teacher. Um, it just doesn't happen quickly. Um, you know, you're going to need a lot. You're going to have to make a lot of mistakes. Um, learn as much as you can about everything as you can, you know, um, know that, uh, you're the cultural beacon and, um, your students and your community are going to support whatever you put emphasis on, regardless of whether it's, um, something beneficial or not. Um, you know, it's one of the, I play a a video at the beginning of every single one of my, um, teaching instrumental music classes that I teach for like outgoing juniors and seniors. And I start with that snippet from, uh, if, if you recall, and only some people recall this that are our age or maybe older, uh, Indiana Jones and in the, in the last crusade, you remember that big boat scene where they're, 
where they're going through the, the canals in Venice and they got those guys that are like the keepers of the grail. You oh, know, yeah. they're trying to deter Dr. Jones from getting the grail. And you right. know, at the end, after the boats crash and they're destroyed by propellers and all that jive, yeah. he catches that one guy with the fez, wearing the fez. And he goes, Dr. Jones. Yeah. He pulls him up by oh, his shirt. Yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones pulls this guy up by his shirt as he's laying all covered in water on, on the boat deck. And, 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 and he pulls him up like he's going to say something really angry to him. But this guy catches him first and he goes, Dr. Jones, ask yourself this one question. Why do you seek the grail? Is it for his glory or yours? And I start that every year because, again, <laughs> you know, it's like, why are you in it? You know, why are you really yeah. teaching students? You know, if, if you think about why students started to be in band, students didn't be in band. Students aren't in band because they're, you know, they didn't start band because they want to, I don't know, get as many ratings as possible, go to as many festivals as possible, you know, get as many trophies as possible. Right. That's not them. That's you as a teacher or your community. And, and again, you know, yeah. the hardest part of edu- of your job is not going to be educating the students in front of you, but educating those people for which you were not hired to educate, you know, including your administration and your, in your community. And um, just know that, you know, have a tough spine and, and uh, be true to who you are. And that's how you achieve longevity in this career. It's not to just plug and play into what always has happened here. You know, which reminds me of a quick story. My first job I interviewed for that I, yeah. well, not my first job I interviewed for. I've interviewed, I've interviewed for a lot of jobs in my life, and I've only gotten a couple of them. So, uh, first of all, know that young teachers, um, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get your dream job, uh, and uh, right away. And chances <laughs> are, your dream job is not what you think it is, anyway. So, but I remember my first job I interviewed for that I got that was that was asked that I was asked to, um, uh, to take, and I was uh, at a consolidated school district somewhere up in District Three. Uh, which for those of you that don't know, that's the thumb area. And um, I remember, and I met, I remember go walking Mm. through the school and I was really like stressed and and anxious about getting a job. And I remember I walked into the school and, and the secretary and the principal shared an office. And I don't mean, I mean, I'm talking like a 10 by 10 square, square foot office. And there was like a cubic, like there was like a divider, cubicle divider between them. And I walk in and, and I say, I'm here for the interview. My name is Dan Tembrose. And she said, well, the principal will be with you in just a moment. And the principal was just, he was like reading a piece of paper. He was about three feet away from her. He could have easily looked up and said, hi. He could have addressed me himself. <laughs> but so I, I, I started walking outside uh, in the lobby area. And I'm noticing the, the graduation photos. And I'm noticing, you know, graduate class, graduating class of like 10 or 11, 8. I think 16 was the highest number um, of them. And uh, so anyway, so this is one of these schools. Oh my gosh. So i uh, make a long story short. Uh, the first question he asked me was, when can you start? And I thought, okay, I'm not sure how to take that. Obviously, in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't take that job. But, um, <laughs> but after he gave me a tour of the, of the building, we went to meet the superintendent. And it was like, it was like a scene from a Quentin Tarantino movie where like the superintendent, so the K-12 building was all just one building. So the superintendent has like two double doors and they open slowly towards me as I'm walking to them. And I see a superintendent with a cowboy boots and a cowboy hat on, his feet up on his desk. I'm not making this up. With every animal that Noah tried to save in that ark pinned up on the wall in his office. And, and I remember thinking, wow, this is unique. And he said, so you're the band guy. You're the new band guy. Now, mind you, I, I had just been asked, when could I start? And I just talked to this principal for like seven minutes. 
Um, and he goes, you know what matters to me is that I got yeah. I got somebody to I got I got a band that's 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 propelling me forward as I lead the parade with my with my with my my pal. Uh, I think his name was like Bix or something. Bix B I X Bix. And I said, your pal Bix, send my horse right out there. And he points out his window, and sure enough, there's a hitching post with a watering hole, and there's his horse. He rode his horse to school every day, and he just needed somebody. He all he wanted was for a band to play music so he could lead the homecoming parade. That was his thing. And to tell you how bad, how hard up I was about a job, oh I almost took that job. I left there going, you know what? I could take this. I could do this job. Um, so. <laughs> I, I tell you what. So you need to work for basically, a week, what right? I'm trying That's to say is that you, um, you know, parade. it's hard to educate those people who think they know it. They know what education is, especially music education, based on a community's you know past. Um, yeah. And you gotta, you know, you gotta be true to your philosophy, what you believe in, yeah. and convince everyone of it, um, so that you have ownership. And and you know, that's one of the ways is to do it is you know, to get people to, to take ownership, even administration ownership, parents ownership and what you're doing. So that's how you win over the, the hearts and minds of, of those folks. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, we're, we're just over an hour here and, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate um, your time. I think that's a pretty good good time to wrap hey, first things of all, up. I do have one first more all, let me say, that I First of all, like let me say thanks for having me. It's so it's awesome a bit of an unfair question. to watch your What's success um, in East Lansing and, and how yeah. well you're doing. And, um, you know, you're one of the good ones and, and I'm, I'm proud to call you a friend. Oh, I, I really appreciate that, man. And right back at you. Sure. Um, so, so one question I, I like to ask all of my guests, yeah. and it's a bit unfair, is just so we can get to know you a little better. What do you have like a, a desert Island recording or album or like what, if you, sure. if you could uh, probably anything by fog hat piece of music to listen to for the rest of your life. No, that's totally a joke. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's so hard, right? I mean, you, how do you, how do you pick a piece of music? It's like, psh, it's amazing. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I think the music we pick are all about the experiences we've had with it. So um, without uh, that being said, I'd have to say Mahler too. Um, that to me is just, it's about as close to heaven and music as you come, you know, I mean. Yeah. And, and I, be, and, and I believe not, not to get too personal, but I believe, uh, I think that sounds I was right, playing yeah. fourth trumpet yeah. and you were it's playing just, you know, trumpet when we played that. Beautiful piece of music. Yeah. That was with. Was that with? I think it was. I think it was me, you, Tony, Tony Spencer. Oh my Grace, gosh! And and Tim. I don't remember. I remember. I remember. I remember the remember sound, but not the name. <laughs> I oh, I remember. Yeah, I know. I remember that guy. No, remember that? He was the old yeah, guy. Remember it's, he was like the old. You know, guy? it's one of those faces yeah. you just can't. Yeah, you can't forget. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, here's the music about um, the death and resurrection of 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 a hero. And, um, and at the same time, you know, this personality, this composer that, that permeates all of his music, you could just send, you could just like, you sense the pathos and just, just the, the, the density of, 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 of experience that this person is putting down on paper and how eloquently he did it. And yeah, I mean, I guess a close second would probably be the, uh, mm. the Copeland Appalachian Spring 
uh, for for the thirteen instruments uh, version, which is divine. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I think if if anybody asked me that question, I'd Mahler two would be certainly uh, I mean up there I mean, amongst my amongst yeah, my I mean, top two. Don't or forget three, the so. Sesquicentennial March by Bruce but, Campbell back in nineteen seventy. <laughs> There's 1976 he wrote for the state of Michigan that everybody got a copy of in their in their school library. Everyone does. Wow. wow. It's funny I because mean, it's I, I, it's I funny because I remember seeing it and that it was on dot matrix paper <laughs> printed out all the parts. So 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 the little tear ends were still on it. Yes, exactly. It was amazing. I loved it. Rest his soul. But yeah. Wow. No. That, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it, man. That's an impressive memory. Yeah, no, you bet. And I will you please um say hi to your wife and kids too for me. And uh, you know, I, I hope she's yeah, well, I mean, you know what it's like, you know, having kids at home and, and, and trying to be their teacher at home and also be a teacher online yeah. for other students. So yeah, love to you and the fam. Yeah. 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 All right, take hey, care, dude. Be safe. Thanks again. Yeah, ma'am. You too. And uh, we'll talk to you Bye soon, man. hopefully. All right. Thanks, man. This has been the Balanced Band Director. I appreciate you listening, and I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Again, today's show sponsor is Work of Art Custom Batons. Please visit them at www.woacb.com and connect with Mark on Facebook and Instagram at Work of Art Custom Batons. Please connect with me, Dave Larzalier, on Facebook and Instagram at Balanced Band Director or on email at balancedbanddirector at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.